So it's been said that love is blind. And this could be true depending on how you define that term. But when it comes to destructive and abusive relationships, and even marriages, those who are being abused and those who are tolerating it, they do so because they are blinded by love. In an article I read, it listed these five red flags for Christians who are blinded by love. And they are, um, those five are, the first one it said was, you're, you're dating a non-believer. The second one, they claim to be in a relationship with Christ, but they're not truly invested. The third one, you're living together. The fourth one, the relationship lacks trust. And the fifth one, they're abusive. In this chapter, we're going to be getting into our main character. We're going to be seeing how he failed to see the red flags as well because he had not allowed himself, because he had allowed himself to be blinded by love. And as we'll see, one of the consequences of being blinded by love was the, the physical removal of his own eyes. This morning, as we look into the final events of Samson's life, we're going to see how, he, how his unrestrained passions was ultimately the cause of his downfall. Yet, despite his, his having lost everything, despite his flaws, and this, again, despite losing everything that mattered to him, he was able to rediscover the true source of his strength and be used by God to accomplish his will and purpose. So before we get into the word, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, um, you are glorious, you are wonderful, you are amazing. And we thank you so much for allowing all of us to be here, Lord. Lord, help us to focus now on your word, on what you want to tell us. Speak to us, Lord, through this story, through your word. May it come alive, Lord. May we honor you now, in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 16. We are in Judges chapter 16. And you guys are familiar with these two characters. Judges chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, Gaza, where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. When the Gazites heard that Samson was there, they surrounded the place and waited in ambush for him all night at the city gate. They kept quiet all night saying, let's wait until dawn, then we will kill him. But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. Then he got up, hold, then he got up took hold of the doors at, of the city gate along with the two gateposts and pulled them out, bar and all. He put them in his, on his shoulders and took them to the top of the mountain overlooking Hebron. Sometime later he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Sorek Valley. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where does your strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? Samson told her, if they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings, that have not been dried, I will become weak and be like any other man. 
The Philistine leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. While the men in ambush were, sit, were waiting in her room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when, it's, when it touches fire. The secret of his strength remained unknown. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me and told me lies. Won't you please tell me how you can be tied up? He told her, if they tie me up with new ropes that have never been used, I will become weak and be like any other man. Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in ambush were waiting in a room, he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me, along, mocked me all along and told me lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. He told her, if you weave seven braids on my head into, into, the, into the fabric on a loom, she fastened the braids with a pen and called to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. He awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pen with the loom and the web. I'll stop there for a minute and explain what's going on here. As we just read, Samson's problems with women didn't end with a Timonite woman we read about in chapters 14 and 15. Here, in these first 15 verses, the author tells us about two stories where Samson makes some poor choices in female companionship. One which almost cost him his life, and the second that ultimately led to his demise. In the first story, which only lasts three verses, we're told that, Sam's, that Samson visited Gaza. He visited a place again where he shouldn't have been at. And it provides, and being there, and the, well, what the author does, he provides insight into his character as both morally weak, yet physically strong. There in Gaza, a prostitute catches his eye, so he decides to hire her for the night without realizing that his sexual needs have led him into a place of danger. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of a single place where you can blatantly sin and feel 100% safe and secure. Whether it's at a bar or whether it's um, anywhere where alcohol is involved, obviously you, you don't, you know, you never really feel safe and secure. There's dangerous people out there with, you know, that have, you know, that are mentally unstable. Um, also brothels, you know, whorehouses, you know, red, the red light districts in Juarez, whatever it may be. There's no safety and security there. I mean, you can, anybody can end up with a disease or, you know, that can harm their bodies or, and ultimate, or ultimately kill them. In Proverbs 25:26, it says, A righteous person who yields to the wicked is like a muddied spring or a polluted well. In other words, we as Christians don't belong in those places. We, again, are like, we are a spring of fresh water, and we don't need to be in these places that are only going to pollute us. Now, let me just also add, as I was reading and studying uh, this passage, it really bothers me, it really frustrates me, and it saddens me 
when I hear about a pastor having to step down because he was caught in, a, in sexual sin. And even more horrific is when they've been caught with a, in sexual sin with a prostitute. Now this upsets me because like Samson, these men were set apart by God for a purpose. And they made a choice to please themselves. They made a choice to, to be selfish and please their own sexual desires, their own sexual needs than to please God, all the while thrusting a, ga a dagger into the heart of their ministry and their families. And it saddens me because it, they ignored the person they're sinning against as a damaged person who desperately needs Jesus Christ. All these people that are out there, these men and these women who are out there selling the, their bodies for money, um, they're damaged people. They are hurting people deep down inside, somewhere along the way in their lives. Someone hurt them deeply. Something's going on in their lives. And man, they need Jesus Christ. They're hurting. And, and as pastors, our responsibility is to lead them to Christ, to show them that, you know, there is hope. And so when we violate a person in that way, it's like putting a cross-shaped dagger into their heart. Therefore, it's necessary that as Christians, when we're tempted to be somewhere we shouldn't be, we heed the words found in 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Stay away from every kind of evil. So, knowing his, of his extraordinary strength, the people of Gaza come up with a plan to capture him in the morning while he was still groggy from a long night. If, you're a if you've been a believer long enough, you probably know that there are people out there who are waiting for the moment to catch you with your pants down, literally and figuratively. This is what Peter meant when he warned, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. There are enemies of our faith, some obvious, and some that you probably never would have guessed, waiting and looking for that gotcha moment, waiting to see when you're gonna slip, to say, ha, 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 look at you. you. You said you're a Christian, but look at your life. Look what you just did. I saw what you did, and, and you know, what is that? Again, there's people out there that, that, that do that, that are looking to do that. And that's why we have to be aware and alert of what's going on, what we're doing. We can't be complacent. They may, not see, they may not be seeking to kill you, but they are looking for an opportunity to discredit you and your Christian faith. So don't give those roaring lions a reason to grip their teeth around you and tear you into pieces. Now, as we see, Samson outsmarts them by getting up in the middle of the night, ripping out the gates, posts, bar and all, and then he carries them about 25 miles to the top of a hill facing east towards Hebron. This short episode reveals the Philistines' inability to stop Samson from doing anything he wanted. It also reveals the continued moral decline of this judge-deliverer whose sexual passions leave him vulnerable 
to the plots in his life, on his life. Within us all, within all of us, there is a consuming passion for something. Whatever that consuming passion is, it's what drives us to get to where we want to go or who we want to be. There are some passions that are good and useful, but there are also some that are dangerous and destructive. In many cases, a consuming passion falls into two categories. It's either selfish and carnal or selfless and divine. Like Samson, when one is consumed by the former, that is, selfish, the selfish and carnal, it will often lead to a moral decline and ultimately leave them vulnerable to the perils of sin. When consumed by the latter, which is selfless and divine, a person's focus and purpose is a sincere, to, a sincere desire to do what pleases the Lord God Almighty. That's all they want to do. When our, a person's passion is nothing but God, all they want to do is just be obedient to them, to love the Lord, to, to, to walk according to His ways. They want to please their, Father, their Lord God Almighty, their Father. Now, if you don't know what you're passionate about, passionate about, all you have to do is look at where you spend most of your time and your money. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you believe it's not where it ought to be, ask the Lord to help you and then begin taking the steps to change it. Had Samson taken the time to examine his heart and redirect his passions, many of his problems could have been avoided. Now, after the fiasco in Gaza, the author tells us in verse 4 that sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Sorek Valley. Now, the Sorek Valley was in the region of Dan, located between Judah and Philistia. And this was also where Samson was from. So it was also, he was also, she was from his hometown. Now, the only thing the author tells us that distinguishes Delilah from the Timonite woman or from the prostitute in Gaza was that Samson loved her. After the events of Lehi and Gaza, the Philistine rulers soon discover that Samson's weakness for women, they, they discover what his, that, his weak, that he has a weakness for women, and what do they do? They capitalize on it. So just as the men of Timnah used Samson's bride to pry out, pry out of Samson, the answer to the wedding riddle in chapter 14 these Philistines, these Philistine rulers now use Delilah to pry out of Samson the answer to a much greater riddle, the secret to his strength. The difference here is that instead of threatening death like they did to the Timonite woman, they offer a reward of 1,100 pieces of silver from each of them. Additionally, while the secret in chapter 14 was intended as a game at a social gathering, the secret in chapter 16 will determine the fate of Samson and his nation. Well, as we see, she agrees to, and agrees to accept the bribe, and now it now becomes clear that money for her 
mattered more than love and loyalty. Unaware of Delilah's betrayal, Samson, be Samson frustrates the secret scheme against him by misleading her three times after she asks him about the source of his strength. Now, before we get into the part where he finally gives in, I want to share with you three factors that attributed to Samson's downfall. The first factor was that instead of finding a balance, Samson's emotional feelings outweighed logic and reason. In other words, he allowed himself to be guided by his heart instead of his allowing his mind to guide his heart. Sadly, when it comes to relationships, this is also what we're seeing in our culture today. A lot of men and women are getting married or will get married just because it feels right, rather than taking the time to discover if she or he has the qualities and character that will make a marriage strong, stable, and successful. Take the time, use your mind, think about it. Don't base, don't get married just because it feels right. Because you know what's going to happen? Divorce will come easily because it feels right. Because I fell in love with someone else. Or because I fell out of love with that person. Love is bigger than just feelings. Now the second factor that caused Samson's downfall was his inability to see the dangers around him because he only focused on the distractions in front of him. If you've ever seen those videos of people running into things because they, because they can't get their eyes off their phone, many of them are funny. They are funny, but I've seen some that are pretty disturbing. Well, Samson had a similar problem and often we make the same mistake too. We become so focused on the distractions in front of us that we fail to see the dangers that are all around. The devil uses these distractions to keep your focus off of Christ. However, if you keep your focus on Christ, if you keep your focus on the Lord, on the cross, and what He's done for you, and who you, what, he, what it's done for you, and who you are in Christ, if you keep your eyes fixated on Jesus, He will help to keep you from stumbling. The Lord, speaking through the psalmist, said in Psalm 91, verses 14 and 15, because He has a, His heart set on me, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls out to Him, I will answer Him. I will rescue Him and give Him honor. And the third factor that caused the downfall of Samson was that he had convinced himself that he was invincible and unstoppable. Instead of relying on the true source of his strength, the last part of verse 20 tells us he started to rely on his own strength to get him out of, the, out of, out of a problem. He, relied, he said, don't worry, I, you know what, I'm not even worried about what's going to happen to me. I just, you know, I'm just going to wake up and shake, you know, shake these bonds free and I'll be okay. He wasn't seeing the bigger picture. He wasn't seeing what was really going on. He started to rely on his own strength. Whatever 
strength you've been given to overcome a specific sin, it doesn't come from you. It comes from the Lord. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing, nothing without me. And in Psalms 18, 32 to 34, David said, God, he clothes me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me securely on the heights. He trains my hands for war. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Those of us that have been in the bondage of addiction know that we don't have the strength or the power within ourselves to overcome our addictions. The only reason I haven't had a drink since 2010, because God alone has given me the strength to resist. It's not within myself. I don't have the strength. I sometimes walk into a store where they're selling alcohol, liquor, beer, whatever it is, and I have the thoughts, I have the feelings of, man, I, I, if I, I, I miss those feelings and, and I miss just hanging out boys and watching the game, just opening, them one, opening one up after work. I know that I'm weak. I rem when I think that way, I remember how weak I am. And I know that I'm susceptible to fall back into the bondage of, of, of that sin. I need the Lord. I, you know, I, He's the one who sustains me. He's the one who strengthens me. I, again, I haven't had a drink for the past almost eight years because of Him and Him alone. I give Him all the credit. I know, as I said, I know that the moment I forget, I forget that and begin to rely on myself. It'll only be a matter of time before that sin will overpower me and I'll be back into bondage. Let's continue reading here. Verse 16. Chapter 16, verse 16. Because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out, he told her, My hair has never been cut, because I am a Nazarite, Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah real, realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her and brought the silver with them. Then she left them. She, she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off his seven braids on his head. In this way, she made him helpless and his strength left him. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. After incessantly nagging him, day after day, just constant nagging, Samson finally gives in and tells Delilah what she wants to know. And as a result, it cost him the only thing 
that he relied on the most. He explains to her that the locks of his hair was the source of his strength and shaving his head would leave him powerless. We know that from what we read in the past couple weeks that it wasn't his hair that gave him the strength. Rather, it was the Spirit of God who strengthened him. You see, Samson's hair was merely an external symbol of his Nazarite vow, which set him apart for special service or prayer. Furthermore, God had honored Samson's Nazarite status in using him for the special task of defeating Israel's enemies. So when his hair was cut, it was only an outward symbol that the Lord had departed from him. Delilah realizes he's telling her the truth and betrays the trust he had in her and sells him out to the Philistines. And the moment he wakes up, Samson is unaware that he just lost his locks, his strength, and his freedom. Let's continue reading. The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he was forced to grind grain from the prison, in, in the prison. But his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. Now the Philistine leaders gathered together to offer great sacrifice, to offer a great sacrifice to their god Dagon. They rejoiced and said, Our God has handed over our enemy Samson to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God and said, Our God has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and multiplied our dead. When, when they were in good spirits, they said, bring, a Samson, bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison and he entered, entertained them. They had him stand between the pillars. Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of men and women and uh, all the leaders of the Philistines were there and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. He called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and leaned against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And those killed at his, at his death were more than those he had killed in his life. Then his brothers and all his father's family came down, carried him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his, of his father Manoah. So he judged Israel 20 years. Samson had just been betrayed by the woman he loved. The source of his strength has been removed and his freedom is gone. And more importantly, the Lord has left him. Everything that he had always relied upon was gone. As we just re read, 
His situation had to get even worse before he came to a place of complete dependence on God. 21 to 25 tell us of the physical and men, the physical, mental, and emotional torment he endured. After being seized by the Philistines, they gouged out his eyes and forced him to grind the city's grain in prison. In the meantime, the author notes in verse 22 that his hair began to grow back. Then, just to remind him of his shame, they put him back in, in a, they put him in a prison located in the same place where the townspeople knew he had been with a prostitute. Finally, to destroy whatever self-confidence, whatever remained of his self-confidence, he was used as a reason to celebrate their idol Dagon and humiliated him by using him as a form of entertainment. He basically said, yeah, let's use him as a clown. Let's have him, let's look at his eyes, at his gouged out eyes, and, and let's just make fun of him and let him, you know, who knows what they made him do, but they were, he was used as a form of entertainment. So as he's enduring this humiliation, he comes up with a solution that would take an enormous amount of faith to accomplish. Samson is placed between the pillars that hold up the structure and asks the young servant charged with his, hair, with his care to guide his hands to the pillars. As the Philistines were being called for, as the Philistines were calling Samson to amuse them, he calls for the Lord to come to his aid. The word call here is the same word used back in chapter 15 when he asked and received the miraculous provision of water. However, now he's calling for the Lord to send another miracle that will strengthen him and, guide and grant him vengeance for what the Philistines had done to him. And what does the Lord do? He answers his prayer by enabling Samson to dislodge the two central pillars of the temple and bring the entire structure bring the entire structure down on the Philistine rulers. In this final act of heroism, sacrifice and redemption, Samson inflicts more damage on the Philistines than all of his mighty deeds during his life. Unfortunately though, it was at the expense of his own life. In the end, Samson understood what it meant to have faith, trust in God, and God com completed what he intended to accomplish through Samson. This last great victory came only after he was broken, humiliated, and blind. He had to come to a point where he no longer looked he no longer looked to himself. Prior to this, we don't see Samson as a man of prayer, but here he prayed. He was humbled enough to allow a little boy to help him. Samson here shows us the danger of underestimating our own sinfulness. He probably figured he had things under control with his own fleshly lusts, but his desire for love, romance, and sex led him directly to his destruction. Samson was the great conqueror 
who never allowed God to properly conquer him. I believe we were given the story about Samson to show us these, these things. We're given this story to show us that God hears us when we're broken, at our weakest, and when life seems to be hanging by a thread. In Psalms 34, verses 15 through 18, King David wrote, well, in, in verse 15, he writes, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and, and his ears are open to their cry for help. Then in verse 17, he says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and rescues them from their trouble. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Another reason we're given this story is to help us understand that if we don't conquer the sin in our lives, it will eventually conquer us. Earlier I mentioned that, our, that we can't do this on our own. We need God to give us the strength to conquer our sin. His Spirit is what strengthens us. And the only way to have His Spirit is by believing in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the promise we've been given by Christ in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with, I will give him, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And lastly, this story shows us that even if we're surrounded by the enemy, no one or nothing will be able to take our faith away from us. King David knew what, this, what it was like to be surrounded by the enemy. And the only thing that sustained him was his faith in God. I want to read to you a psalm that he wrote as he was surrounded by, his, by those enemies. And I want you to listen carefully to his heart and how he, the faith that he had, even though it seemed like, again, his world was coming to an end. In Psalm 3, he writes, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake and me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to you, Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Do you hear that? Do you hear again just the trust he had in God? Although all seemed, uh, even though everything seemed to be coming to an end for him, he trusted, he had faith. He just completely gave himself over to the Lord. Paul also wrote about this. He wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. And you guys, some of you may be familiar with this verse. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we look at this story, I'm also reminded of someone else who was betrayed, physically tortured, and humiliated. It was Jesus. It was Jesus Christ. Yet the suffering he endured for us was to take away our sins in order for us to be blameless and holy before God. You see, he suffered so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. I will, I will, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wherever you are in life, whether you've been a believer for a long time, whether you're a new believer, or you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, you can cast your burdens on Him. Everything that you're dealing with right now in your life, you can lay it before Him at the cross, and He will take it upon Himself. Allow Him to take the heavy load you've been carrying around and let Him free you from the bondage of sin. There are many people who have never, don't know what this is like and need and want that burden to be taken away. They want their sins forgiven. They know that they're a sinner and, and they've blown it. And, and well, let me tell you, if that's you, Jesus Christ will do that. He died to forgive you of your sins. And all you have to do is just accept Him into your heart. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Trust in Him. Surrender your life completely to Him. I know that there are doubts and you have questions, but again, He will, he will answer them for you one way or another. He will show you how much He cares for you. But again, you've got to take that step. If you've never have, and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, from the bottom of your heart, just repeat this prayer wherever you're at. Lord Jesus, I come before you and confess that I'm a sinner. Out on the cross, and that Almighty God raised you from the dead. I now ask that you forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray, amen. If you sincerely pray that from the bottom of your heart, know that God has heard you. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit will come and make his home in you. 
He will guide you to the truth. Seek Him out. Make Him the Lord of your life. Let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, so many lessons here from Samson's life. And I know that I just covered just a fraction of them, Lord. I pray that everyone here will go back and just read this story and see those areas that are specifically applicable to them. Lord, when it comes to our passions, let them be for you alone. Let us be consumed by a passion for you. Give us your love and your grace, Lord. We need it day by day. We rely on it. Help us to keep our eyes open from the dangers around, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Bless this next time of fellowship, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.